Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. And we are not in the studio this morning. In fact, uh, we, are, we are each remotely in our own location. And to make things worse, Adrian Fonseca is actually uh, not able to even produce the show today because his uh, whole power is out. It's been a massive storm here in the uh, Houston, Texas area. Ice is everywhere. Nobody should be driving right now. If you're driving, you're not very, you're not, you're not thinking very clearly. So we've decided to all stay home to stay safe today, possibly tomorrow too. So the show is just not going to be the normal Catholic drive time show. Uh, the production quality is just not going to be what we would hope it would be normally, but we're going to, we're going to do what the great philosopher, drill instructor, Sergeant Mercado told us to do. Suck it up and keep moving. And that's what we're going to do today. So Adrian Fonseca may be joining us by uh, cell phone today. We'll see what he says, but I know Emily Alcaris is on the line with us this morning via Zoom chat. Good morning to Emily. Good morning, Joe. It's chilly out today. Yeah, I think it's like 15 degrees in my house right now. And like there's snow and ice and it's it's kind of crazy. So praise be to God. My kids might get a chance to throw snowballs later and that's always nice. But it's a little it's a little insane with the weather right now. So hopefully everybody's staying safe. We'll see. Uh, hunkering down, as they say. Well, uh, today on the program, we're going to have a great show nonetheless. Yeah, technical problems aside or anything else that we may be uh, faced with today, we're going to continue to soldier on. But we have John DeRosa on. Now, he is with Classical Theist. It's a podcast, and he's also written a book on atheistic slogans published by Catholic Answer. So he's going to be our guest in the guest segment today, and uh, we'll, we'll, sort, we'll sort of tackle those atheistic slogans that your kids are probably going to face in school, whether at high school or in college or in life in general. Are they prepared to tackle these questions that might be thrown at them? Well, John DeRuss will help us sort of uh, understand that and give us some uh, good, solid Catholic answers because he's a part of the uh, Catholic Answers lineup, actually. His book's published there. He's helped write some of their stuff. I think he's been on the program. So we'll be speaking with John DeRosa in our guest segment. In the game show, we probably won't have a guest on the game show today just because of all the technical problems we're going to be looking at today anyway. So we figured we'd just keep it simple today. We have a new uh, prize sponsor this week, and maybe we could look at using somebody via comments on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GRN online or something like that. Uh, we'll have to just wait to see. We'll we'll get to the guest segment. We'll just see how it all goes. We don't even have the 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 music bed, uh, you know, even for the news, let alone for the game show. We don't have any of the production elements there, so we'll have to just wait to see. But we may just go over the questions and use it as a teachable moment. Of course, we'll have the after show today as well. So there's still a ton of Catholic drive time. Technical problems aside, it's going to be a great program. So let's begin with prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. 
O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And now the headlines without the music bed, Emily Alcarez. <laughs> okay, today is Monday, February 15th, and these are your headlines from over the weekend. Former President Donald Trump was acquitted in his second impeachment trial. Trump's attorneys claim that Trump's language is nearly indistinguishable from similar rhetoric used by Democrats, and they proceeded to show various edited video montages of Democrats using similar rhetoric, where they also called on their supporters to quote-unquote fight. With two-thirds of the Senate necessary to convict, the vote to impeach fell 10 votes short. In a statement after the trial, Trump said, quote, no president has ever gone through anything like this. And it continues because our opponents cannot forget that almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president, who voted for us just a few short months ago, end quote. California Santa Clara County has once again banned indoor worship, saying its rules to mitigate coronavirus spread are fundamentally different from Governor Gavin Newsom's order recently blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court because it treats all indoor gatherings similarly. California's strict coronavirus rules banning indoor worship statewide were blocked and revised on February 5th when the Supreme Court justices said that religious services appeared to be wrongly singled out when similar indoor gatherings were allowed under the state order. Restrictions on worship in California have been so extreme that Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione of San Francisco had instructed his priests to offer mass indoors if needed in violation of state orders. The Supreme Court on Thursday refused an appeal by the state of Alabama to execute a man without a chaplain present. Willie Smith was scheduled to be executed by Alabama last Thursday night. Smith had asked for a chaplain to be present with him in the execution room, but the state denied his request due to its policy. A federal appeals court ruled in Smith's favor, and the Supreme Court on Thursday declined Alabama's appeal to overturn that decision. Smith's execution could still proceed, provided that the state provides him with a chaplain as requested. Justice Elena Kagan wrote that Alabama failed to prove that its exclusion of chaplains from the execution chamber was necessary for the compelling state interest of security. And among the 12 men ordained priests of the Diocese of Cassese earlier this month was a pair of twins named Peter and Andrew. In an interview, Father Andrew shared their vocation story. He said, growing up in Uganda, my brother and I often talked about our dream to become Catholic priests. We admired the lives of priests who came to our homes, ate with us in humility, and prayed for us. The twins are identical, only distinguishable by the scar on Father Andrew's nose, which was left after he was injured during their pastoral work. Due to financial difficulties, the brothers went to separate seminaries, although they were still able to be ordained together this month in Uganda. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ, St. Claude de la Colombaire. Pray for us. He was born on the 2nd of February, 1641, in Rhone, France. He was born to French nobility. Claude very early felt a call to religious life. He was educated at the Jesuit College in Lyon, France, ordained to the priesthood, taught humanities at Avignon, and continued his studies in Paris. 
and he began to preach against Jansenism, advocating for the dedication to the sacred heart of Jesus. He joined the Jesuits in 1659. He became the spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. He also was assigned by the king himself to become the chaplain of the Duchess of York in England. While there, he converted many Protestants to the example of his holy life. Due to rumors, though, of his popish plots against the king and the reestablishment of Catholicism in England, Claude was imprisoned, accused of being a part of the Titus Oates plot. But it was only through the efforts of King Louis XIV, who had recommended him for the assignment, that he was not martyred for the faith. He was banished from England. His health had, though, been uh, ruined by his time in prison, and he returned to France only to die. The day after his death, St. Margaret received supernatural assurance that Claude needed no prayers, though, as he was already in heaven. He is considered a dry martyr for having suffered every abuse for the faith with the exception of death. He was canonized on May 31st, 1992 by Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, St. Claude de la Colombaire, pray for us. The gospel today comes to us from Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed from the depth of his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Amen, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got into a boat again, and went off to the other shore, the gospel of the Lord. Well, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a very stripped-down version of Catholic Drive Time, and we're just barely surviving it for the most part. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to have a great program today. Now, I want to look at this gospel for a moment. Now, before I do, though, I want to mention that Saint Colombert, uh, this our saint for the day, is also one of the co-writers of uh, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, a fantastic little book that's published by Tan, and it is about giving everything over to God and his divine will for your life, whether it's good or bad. It's kind of a, it's a gut check. We may be going through that during the Holy season of Lent. So we had a ton of people sign up for our email list and we're so very grateful uh, for that. So we're going to be doing the gospel uh, for every Sunday as a team, but I also may be going through a trustful surrender, which St. Columbert uh, wrote. So praise God for that. But here in this gospel today, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Now, we missed the first 13, 12 verses of this chapter, and that's important to, to mention here. Jesus is still preaching in the Decapolis around Galilee, which is a lot of Gentile uh, country there. And we just saw in the first 12 verses of this chapter, chapter 8, Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes again. You know, Mark has two accounts of the loaves and fishes. And I've heard in my own uh, life as a Catholic, priests will say, well, it's just they're being, they're just being repetitive in the gospel. But many scholars, uh, Scott Hahn among them, uh, say, no, that's not the case. In fact, this is probably a second multiplication just for the Gentiles themselves. Remember we, last week, we saw Jesus here, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Remember that? And he actually said, you can't, uh, you can't take the food that's meant for the children and give it to the dogs. And she said, even the dogs eat from the scraps of the table, Lord. And he healed her 
her daughter because of her great faith. Well, Jesus has been preaching among these Gentiles now for the last week or so as we've been talking. And so now he is bringing them to a foreshadowing of the good things to come through the Holy Eucharist. In fact, the word Eucharistia is used in Mark chapter 8 to describe the thanksgiving Jesus is giving to the Father when he multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Now, there's only 4,000 people here versus the 5,000 with the Israelites, and there's seven baskets taken up, unlike the 12 baskets taken up with the uh, with the Israelites. Seven is important because there were seven Gentile nations that occupied the land. When they, when the people came out of uh, Israel, when they, or rather Egypt, out of slavery, and they came into the land under Joshua, so uh, Jesus is here foreshadowing the day when, when Jew and Gentile are brought into the one family of God, the one church, the one loaf, as Saint Paul would say. It's pretty fascinating. That happens up until today's gospel, starting in verse 11. Now, I like this passage because uh, when it says, why does this generation seek a sign? Jesus sighs from the depths of his spirit. As a father, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've had to deal, interact with my kids, and I have sighed from the depths of my spirit. So I can imagine, I can understand Jesus a little bit here, you know, and but he does it at a whole nother level, a divine level, right? Uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing to me, like the level of frustration the level of, of tolerance, the level of patience that he still has. Now, he's doing this with the Pharisees. They're trying to test him. They're also trying to get him to create miracles on demand, you know, for their own benefit. And he's like, no, I don't play by your rules. I play by mine. And uh, But I like the fact that if you correlate this passage to Matthew chapter 12, where the same uh, uh, statement is said, this generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah, Matthew 12, uh, verse 39. And why is that important? Well, Jonah, you know, was eaten by a fish and uh, died. It was in the belly of the whale in the depths for three days and then resurrected on the beach in order to call those to repentance. A foreshadowing of Jesus's own mission to be dead in the in the tomb, in the belly of the earth for three days and then to be resurrected on the third day and to call us all to repentance and to life everlasting. So it's a powerful passage that Jesus is giving us here today, a realization that he's calling all of us, you and me, into the one family of God, and he's calling us to the Holy Eucharist. He's calling us to the sacraments that he has established. And guess who is the minister of those sacraments? It is the disciples themselves who uh, who not only distribute the food, but take up the baskets after. It's also the disciples he gives clarity on parables to as well. So we must come to his church, the church of the church that Jesus founded to receive his grace and to receive his instruction. It's a powerful opportunity for all of us as we go into the holy season of Lent to uh, to get ourselves completely ready for what we're about to endure. Um, Emily, I don't know, maybe in the, in the uh, what's concerning us, if you had any comments there, uh, maybe you could... Uh, clue us in, but I think we're going to break right now. Sure. We can talk later. The Catechism defines an indulgence as a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. But is it biblical to say punishment remains after God has forgiven our sins and that we can do something to satisfy it? I think it is. For example, David is forgiven of his sin in 2 Samuel 12, but yet must suffer the death of his son. 
Even Jesus teaches in Luke 12 that the servant who sins without full knowledge will be punished, but in a lesser degree. It is such temporal consequences that indulgences remit. Exercising her power to bind and loose, the church grants indulgences to help her children heed St. Paul's exhortation in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation. So, is the Catholic understanding of an indulgence biblical? You bet it is. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. The universe is filled with order from top to bottom. It's a beautiful order, and not only is it beautiful, it's order that we can actually comprehend. And it's almost as if we have been made to be able to comprehend that order in the universe, to be able to contemplate it so that we can see maybe that purpose behind it. Please visit Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, to watch this beautiful and important video about purpose and God's creation. That's magiscenter.com. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm Joe McLean, and there's just a ton of uh, technical issues today we are trying to struggle through. Uh, part of it is the fact that we are, none of us are in the studio today. We're all out and in our homes because of the massive because winter the storm. Map. You know, I saw um, a meme on Facebook over the weekend that said, uh, you know, somebody from Texas that said, Hey, New England, your weather's, uh, uh, you know, loose and in my yard, come down and get it. You know, it's just, it's kind of funny, but uh, praise be to God. We're all still uh, safe and alive. Adrian Fonseca, who normally produces our show, decided that uh, he would give us the old, my power is off excuse and couldn't do anything this morning, but I think he's joining us by phone. Good morning to you, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Adrian, yes, are you there? Uh, this morning. Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Joe? I can hear you, yes. Okay, good. Okay, we are, yeah, this morning was a lot of fun. We, uh, me and my, my father tried to hook up our, uh, my truck to the, our, to the room, try to power up our computers, and I was trying testing that to see if it would work, and no, no dice. Uh, the most we could do is power one thing at a time. <laughs> so, that was not, that was not working. <laughs> Well, praise God. We're glad you're on the phone and alive and safe. And uh, God is very good nonetheless. So I don't have any idea because I can't, I can't monitor 17 things simultaneously. So I don't, I don't know how we're actually doing on anything right at the moment, but hopefully we're, hopefully we're just surviving this and everything is fine. I see some folks hanging out with us. Uh, pr praise God. It's good to see you. Thank you for hanging out with us on our live video streams today. But and if you're listening on radio, prayerfully, this sounds okay. But I wanted to go through some stories on the What's Concerning Us section. But before I did, Adrian, I don't know if you had an opportunity to look at today's gospel and you wanted to comment. I wanted to give you a chance. Or Emily, you, you as well. No idea. Didn't look at the gospel today, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Well, praise God. There is a story. There's several stories in the news today that I wanted to uh, bring up. Besides the fact that there's a massive winter storm in the state of Texas. Uh, Tennessee lawmakers, this is Breitbart reporting. Tennessee lawmakers introduced bill allowing fathers a say 
in abortion. I thought this was fascinating. Two Tennessee lawmakers introduced legislation Friday that would allow the father of an unborn child to file a petition for an injunction to block a woman from aborting the child's couple. Senator Mark Pody introduced SBO 494 in the Senate, and Rep. Jerry Sexton presented a companion measure of HB 1079 in the Tennessee House. As introduced, the legislation would allow a person to petition a court for an injunction to prohibit a woman who is pregnant with a person's unborn child for the for obtaining an abortion. The bill would also require the petitioner to execute a voluntary acknowledgement of, of paternity that is not subject to being rescinded or challenged. If he can prove to the courts that he is the father, the biological father, then he has rights to what's going on with his son or daughter, uh, Pody said, according to Fox 17 News. Uh, it says the Tennessee senator added that the mother of the unborn child would also be given the opportunity to argue why she would proceed with an abortion, including medical reasons. Hearings related to the injunction would be required to be held within 14 days following the filing of the petition. It says, quote, in this case, we're saying that we want the father who is just as much of a parent as the mother to because uh, it took the two of them to create this human being. And we believe that they should have the opportunity to raise that child, according to Pody. Now, I find this incredible. Um, you just don't see this very often. I don't know if, if this is a law anywhere else in the United States. I don't think it is. But this was a good step forward in a pro-life cause here because there are many there are many cases. I am post-abortive. I drove a woman to an abortion mill many years ago. Uh, God help my soul. And uh, and I know that there are many times where the, the, these biological fathers are driving these women to the clinic in order to get rid of, air quotes, their their obligations to these women, leaving these women with no choices. However, there are many men who... Uh, I was thinking of Jason Jones, for instance, in his own testimony. He did not want uh, his girlfriend at the time to abort their child, and it broke his heart. And that put him on the road he's on today you know, to, uh, in order to fight for the pro-life cause. So there are many men who would not want, and now in Tennessee anyway, they might have an opportunity to actually fight for the life of their child. I find this very good news. Emily, Adrian, anything? Well, actually, I think this really makes perfect sense, um, not only morally, but scientifically, because that child, from the moment of conception, it has equal parts of DNA from each parent, from, literally from the moment of conception, when the, you know, the DNA from both parents becomes a new creation, a new person. And so it makes perfect sense that both parents should have a say over what happens to that child. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're we have a we have an echo here that we're dealing with on the live stream, and we're sorry about that. I wish I could, I wish I could tell it to go away, but unfortunately, I'm sort of at a loss right now with just Emily and I and trying to manage all the the moving wheels. So yeah, uh, I do apologize for that. Be However, we're gonna <laughs> continue to go here and just keep kind of moving forward as best we can given our circumstances. At any rate, I'm going to link to this story from Tennessee, Breitbart reporting. Like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a good step forward. Now, the one point at the end of this article that's mentioned is that Planned Parenthood, a major player in transgender industry, it says, according to this article, uh, promotes ending the recognition of the two sexes. So Planned Parenthood 
objected to this legislation in Tennessee and then also tried to rearrange all of the pronouns and the nouns and, and what have you. All of the, uh, you know, they tried to change the language to make it gender, uh, you know, non-exclusive. And I, it just, it speaks to the bizarre nature of the world we, we're living in right now. Which relate reminds me of another story that's also in the news, a LifeSite News reporting. Biden's spokesperson dismisses concerns over erasing girls' sports. Um, trans rights are human rights, she says. Now, we've, we've talked about this a few times over the past couple of weeks, at, at the very least. But according to this article uh, by Calvin um, Freiberger over at LifeSide News, the White House brushed off the concerns of parents of female athletes Tuesday over President Joe Biden's executive order forcing women's athletic programs, restrooms, and locker rooms to accept gender-confused males. Instead, reiterating the LGBTQ slogan, trans rights are human rights. Among Biden's first actions upon taking office was signing an executive order declaring the policy of my administration to prevent and combat discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation and to fully enforce Title seven and other laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation citing the supreme court bostock rulings claim that federal laws prohibiting it or dis- on discrimination because of sex extends to discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation this is absolutely insane so biological females can't have sports to themselves they have to compete with biological males who who identify, air quotes, identify uh, as females. Um, how is this fair? And where are the feminists in this regard? You know, Emily, lately we've, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Carrie Gress's book in the news because she was uh, banned on Facebook. And so it's kind of funny seeing Tucker Carlson talk about, you know the book or or many other outlets actually have been talking about Carrie Gress's book, giving it even more um, promotion. But uh, this is upside down world. Emily, what do you think about this, uh, about the transgender rights, especially about female sports? So we've talked about this before, but this the feminists are actually upset about this. So many feminists actually do not want, secular leftist feminists do not want to erase the concept of sex and gender because that undermines all the work that they've been doing to, uh, you know, bring up women in in society and culture. And so, strangely enough, we are actually on the same side as the leftist feminists on this one. Um, But it's it's completely irrational, the idea of erasing biological sex. It's unscientific. It's not based in reality. Because no matter what you do, you cannot undo... uh, nature the way that god ordained things to be so we have men and we have women and they're always going to going to exist and you cannot erase gender it's impossible although did you see the recent news about the hospital that was attempting to um make people use the term chest feeding instead of breastfeeding um (laughs) in their attempts to erase the distinctions between sexes um and it's just it's it's astounding, really, how unscientific and not grounded in reality it, this has become. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> that is kind of bizarre. I think oh, it's my funny heavens. Because it's, to to like make it worse, there's another story here. We have 
I don't know. We have about four minutes left before we go to break, and then we'll come back with more Ricky News and Stories. And, of course, our guest segment with John DeRosa from the Classical Theist, answering atheist slogans, shoring teens for the fight is going to be our guest segment today on Catholic Drive Time. You know, all uh, all technical problems aside, we keep moving. But there's a story, again, this one's out of the blaze. Um, and uh, Paul Saka is the one who put this together. It says U.S. Navy Task Force makes sailors pledge to advocate for and acknowledge all lived experiences and intersectional identities. So they're forcing our service members, at least in this Navy task force, to accept. And so it says here, the pledge for a new United States Navy task force has some very progressive sounding language in it that looks like it was written by a woke campus diversity officer. Task Force Navy One, which was established to combat discrimination in the Navy, requires members to advocate for and acknowledge all lived experiences and intersectional identities of every sailor in the Navy. All of them? You know how many sailors there are? I mean, so if a sailor identifies as a cat, because we've seen pictures of people who have reconstructive surgery to make themselves into animals, would they have to call them you know, Felix the cat instead of petty officer third class, would it be petty officer third class feline? I mean, like it's, it's utterly insane. The, uh, the, the, this is a slippery slope that goes into absolute insanity. But what kills me about this is it, it just, it, I know I served in the Marine Corps. I saw, I raised my right hand. I swore to uphold the constitution, not people's lived experiences. I swore to uphold and defend my country and my neighbors and our countrymen. I did not swear to uphold your personal identity crisis. Okay. Uh, and yet we live in a time where they're not just, it's not good enough that you live in peace with your neighbors who have differing opinions than you. Like, that's normal. Just living with neighbors that don't see the world your way or, or, or want to live according to your lifestyle, they have their own. You can live in peace with those people, but no, that's not good enough. Now you must accept. You must believe. That is what they're after. This is, this is an enslavement of the mind, the heart, and the will. And that's what this is demonstrating. You can, you can respect your neighbors with differing opinions. Severely differing opinions and try to live in peace. That's what Christ calls us to in Matthew chapter five. He calls us to live in peace among, uh, to love even our enemies. And yet this is something altogether different. And it's, it's very scary. It's a very slippery slope. We're about to go to a break again. Um, I have, I have a difficulty knowing exactly where we are in the timeline. So I can't like hear much until I stop talking. But I'm trying to, uh, trying to get us going here. So we're going to be right back. I've got to drive down to send you away. Don't go anywhere. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, you've got to believe in yourself? G.K. Chesterton says, the people who believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. You have to believe in something outside yourself. You have to believe that there is a greater reality than the one inside your head. If the only thing you believe in is yourself, your world will become very small, about the size of a padded cell. We live in a world that rejects the worship of the one true God and has substituted something called the God within. But as Chesterton says, 
If Jones is told to worship the God within, it ultimately means that Jones shall worship Jones. And that's not going to work. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. These are your headlines for today. Former President Donald Trump has been acquitted in his second impeachment trial. Trump's attorneys claim that Trump's language is nearly indistinguishable from similar rhetoric used by Democrats. And they proceeded to show various edited video montages of Democrats using similar rhetoric, where they also called on their supporters to quote-unquote fight with two-thirds of the Senate necessary to convict the vote to impeach fell ten votes short. In a statement after the trial, Trump said, quote, No president has ever gone through anything like this. And it continues because our opponents cannot forget that almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president, who voted for us just a few short months ago, end quote. California's Santa Clara County has once again banned indoor worship, saying its rules to mitigate coronavirus spread are fundamentally different from Governor Gavin Newsom's order, recently blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court because it treats all indoor gatherings similarly. California's strict coronavirus rules banning indoor worship statewide were blocked and revised on February 5th when the Supreme Court justices said that religious services appeared to be wrongly singled out when similar indoor gatherings were allowed under the state order. Restrictions on worship in California have been so extreme that Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione of San Francisco had instructed his priests to offer mass indoors if needed, in violation of state orders. The Supreme Court on Thursday refused an appeal by the state of Alabama to execute a man without a chaplain present. 51-year-old Willie Smith was scheduled to be executed by Alabama on Thursday night. Smith had asked for a chaplain to be present with him in the execution room, but the state denied his request due to its policy. A federal appeals court ruled in Smith's favor, and the Supreme Court on Thursday declined Alabama's appeal to overturn that decision. Smith's execution could still proceed provided that the state provides him with a chaplain as requested. Justice Elena Kagan wrote that, Alabama failed to prove that its exclusion of chaplains from the execution chamber was necessary for the compelling state interest of security. And among the 12 men ordained priests of the Diocese of Kasese in Uganda earlier this month was a pair of twins who are named Peter and Andrew. In an interview, Father Andrew shared their vocation story. He said, Growing up, my brother and I often talked about our dream to become Catholic priests. We admired the lives of priests who came to our homes, ate with us in humility, and prayed for us. The twins are identical, only distinguishable by the scar on Father Andrew's nose, which was left after he was injured during their pastoral work. 
Due to financial difficulties, the brothers were sent to separate seminaries, although they were still able to be ordained together this month in Uganda. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through Catholic Lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Emily, for reading the headlines and uh, rolling with the punches, as they say. Now, we, uh, we're still sort of struggling, so if you're just joining us, you're like, what's going on? This is not what I'm used to normally, and that's because we aren't actually in the studio right now. We are at home, and to make things worse, Adrian, our producer, decided that he would take the day off completely, sit back, and put his feet up by the toasty fire. I have no idea, but his power is out of the house, so he is not able to, to help, but I'm only teasing. He wanted to. It just didn't work out. But uh, so we're trying to pull the show off as best we can. So with all the technical problems, we apologize. But, uh, you know, it's freezing. And in fact, there's ice and even snow in Texas. So uh, it's kind of a thing. We're just trying to, you know, play it safe today. But we have a great guest lined up with us right now. John DeRosa is with us hanging out by Zoom chat. Now, John is uh, with the Classical Theist podcast. And uh, he's got a book out called One Less God Than You. It is published by Catholic Answers, Answers, and it tackles the common atheistic slogans, and they show you how to respond. So One Less God Than You is the book. And this is a great opportunity to have a conversation, especially for your teen kids or even your college kids. You're helping your kids grow up and have to face down people who are going to throw these these slogans at, at them. And will they be ready? Will they have ready answers? Will they be Catholic answers? Will they be solid and confident answers in order to refute these? And hopefully, even more than just refute, how about plant a seed and help people come into the church? That would be an amazing thing. So John DeRosa joins us by Zoom chat right now. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Joe. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Now uh, we're uh, we're 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 just trying to play it by uh, by ear here on the technical side of things. Uh, so I'm going to try to also pin your video so that everybody can see you as well. Uh, so praise God for that. Uh, but uh, thank you for being on with us, and thank you for rolling with the punches with us today. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about your book and what drove you to write this book. Absolutely. No, this, and can you hear me okay? Yes. All right, great. So this book is for Catholics who want to have better conversations with atheists or skeptics about their faith. It grew up out of uh, a couple different things, but recently, I guess maybe a year before the book, I was a chaperone on a confirmation retreat at my parish. And I was surprised. This was like the last retreat before students were ready to make their confirmation in New Jersey. And I was surprised at not only did some of the students have some good questions and were you know skeptically minded, but some of them at the retreat were just flat out atheists and were actually saying these sorts of slogans that I tackle in my book, like, oh, you don't need to believe in God. We, we have science or there's no evidence for God's existence or evil and suffering disprove God or there's, you know, 2000 other gods out there. And uh, you just kind of pick this one arbitrarily. I just believe in one less God than you. And it sounded like a lot of the students who are ninth graders had been influenced by these, either by their friends or on the Internet. So my goal in this book is to help Catholics have better conversations about these, whether they're young or old. I wanted to teach you some 
I call them opening tactics and then like middle game tactics. What can you say? What can you do? Because a lot of times it can seem overwhelming. Do I have to read 10 books on this subject? Do I have to like study for years? And the key answer is no, you don't. You just have to remember a few essential principles and immediately you'll be able to have better conversations on those topics. So it started with that ninth grade retreat, kind of planted that seed in my mind. And then over time, I just kept adding slogans to the list as I would hear them. John DeRosa is our guest. Classical Fiesta is his podcast. We're going to try to link to that. And I say that uh, uh, tongue in cheek. I hope to link to everything I've talked about. Uh, but uh, I've got 14,000 plates spinning at the moment, so I may have to wait till the after show before I actually post links. But Classical Theist is the podcast. You can find this book there as well as uh, looking on Catholic Answers Store. It's called One Less God Than You. Now, John, we have about, I don't know, four minutes or so before we have to go to our short break. Maybe you can start with what's the, num- what's the number one slogan that gets tossed around quite a bit to, to, to young people? Yeah, I would say I'll, I'll give two. The number one and two ones are, I would say, there's no evidence for God, or I don't believe in God because I believe in science, or we don't need belief in God because we need, uh, because we have science. I would say if, if you could teach the young folks to handle those two issues, then that they're going to be ready to go out there um, and at least have something to offer in conversation. So what do you do when someone says that? And they say, you know, there's just no evidence for God, or, you know, maybe we need, used to need God, but we don't now because we have science. The first, well, the second principle I teach, I have a bunch of principles in the introduction, but one of the most important principles that I'll emphasize here is that whenever possible, you want to start by asking questions rather than making statements. So teach the folks when they hear these, it's going to be very tempting to kind of like launch into a long response, but instead just pause, spend your time clarifying the objection, because a lot of times it's just thrown out there, you know, in a vague general way that's non-specific, that you could end up start talking about something that's not even relevant. So say they throw the science issue out there. I would start with the question, well, what exactly do you see as the incompatibility between believing in God and believing in science? Because as a Catholic, I love science and I think we can have both. So can you spell this out for me more? And just start by asking for more information. And then after that, they're usually going to go to a few different issues. Usually it's going to be something about probably evolution and science. Maybe it'll be something like, oh, science tells us we can't have miracles. But once you kind of know those common issues of where they're going to go, the you're going to be able to show that, well, hey, we got a lot of great Catholic scientists in our tradition. Catholics are very open to the idea of, you know, God creating the world and guiding it through evolution, if that's a possibility. They're also open to, you know, they accept people who want to say that evolution did not occur. They're willing to have that debate on the ground with the facts, but we don't see any conflict between believing in a God and creator who uh, created through an evolutionary process and believing in science. We just think faith and reason can go together. So I would start by asking that question. And if they say there's no evidence for God's existence, I'll just give you another question you can ask. So with the scientists, you say, what's the incompatibility you see between believing in God and believing in science? With the no evidence question, you want to ask them something like this. Well, what's the best evidence you've heard for God's existence? And what do you think is wrong with it? That way it kind of puts it back on them and you have to actually see if they did any homework because maybe they've just been coming across slogans and memes and it's just been planted in their head. Oh, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. Just blind faith out there. Well, hey, what's the best evidence you've heard and what do you think is wrong with it? Then they can respond, you know, with some something that they've heard and it gives you a chance to reply like, oh man, is that all you've heard? Because I can think of, you know, the Kalam cosmological argument, the contingency argument, St. Thomas Aquinas. I've looked into a lot of different evidence that 
in the Catholic tradition, we found pretty compelling. Have you ever considered those? And then you're often running on more of a dialogue rather than just like a slogan flinging back and forth. So I'll, I'll pause there, but those are some principles. All right, good. Thank you, John. <laughs> Sorry about all the technical problems again. I'm going to apologize a thousand times today on the show to everyone. So uh, just get used to that. Yeah, Alfred up his penance for pre-Lenten launch uh, Easter, or rather Ash Wednesday is a couple of days away. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back, continue our conversation with John DeRosa from Classical Theist Podcast and about his book, One Less God Than You. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Mike and Alicia Hernan with the Messy Family Minute. St. John Paul II tells us that family is the school of virtue, but for many parents, it feels like a school of warfare. Siblings, no matter what the age, tend to have conflicts with each other over an endless number of issues. We're here to tell you, first of all, even though it feels like your children will never get along, they can be best friends someday. The fighting doesn't last forever, but you will need to be proactive in developing strong ties between siblings. First of all, give them the tools they need to resolve conflict. That means teaching them how to listen to others, how to ask forgiveness, and how to take responsibility for their own actions. Second, resist rushing in to solve every conflict for them. They need to learn how to figure things out for themselves. And last, keep perspective. These children will be in relationship with each other for a long time. And if they aren't getting along when they are four or six, don't lose heart. They will have years to figure it out with your guidance. For more resources and ideas on resolve a conflict with kids, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Years ago, when I started acting, modeling, and singing in Mexico, my Catholic faith was not the center of my life. It took me many years to discover that success, fame, money, and all the pleasures of the world were not going to fulfill me. I got to a point in my life where I thought I had everything, but I realized something was missing. Thankfully, I began a faith journey that brought me back to God and the home to the Catholic Church. You can too. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.com. Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. And as we've been saying, we're not live in the studio. We're live from our houses, trying to do this via remote control, and it's uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. But our guest, however, doesn't. Our guest has got a solid topic today that appeals to most families, or most of us, I would say. Whether you were, have kids in school or you're in an office and you have colleagues that are always like, "Yeah, how could you be a Catholic when you know Galileo was persecuted or something like that?" You know, they they throw out all of these sort of zingers and one-liners, and and many people, many Catholics, find themselves ill-equipped and ill-prepared to give solid answers. I mean, if I had a dollar, John, uh, for every time someone tried to use Galileo. As, an, as a reason to abandon faith, I would be as rich as uh, Bill Gates, and I would not use the money to sterilize the planet. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I would be very wealthy, and I wouldn't need it. But uh, so John DeRose is our guest. His book is One Less God Than You, published by Catholic Answers, answering these atheistic slogans. John, uh, so in the next, uh, I don't know, we have up until well, Can we go there with Galileo for oh, a second? Less, just because you yes, brought that please. up. Yeah. Please, okay. Let's do that. Go for it. I don't directly raise the issue of Galileo in my book, but it is a popular one in the science chapter. But I would just say, let's take our tactic of asking questions rather than making statements and just put it back on the person as a question first. Well, what about Galileo do you think um, disproves the faith or counts against Catholicism? Get some more of their thinking, and they're probably going to try out some ideas like, oh, well, um, you know, the church, you know, persecuted him and condemned him and threw him in prison and 
all this stuff, all because, you know, in the name of dogmatism rather than science. And yeah, if you've looked into the issue somewhat on your own, you can give a more informed response because there's a lot of um, bad information out there. And what I was actually surprised when I looked into this, that it actually wasn't just the church that supported uh, a geocentric model at the time, but it was actually academia. And like most of the scholarship at that time had supported this geocentric model. And so what Galileo was saying was really not just going against what the church had taught, but also common science of the day. But the key idea is this, just go to a big picture question. Hey, is it possible that the church made some mistakes in their handling of Galileo, and yet they are still the church that Christ founded and that we should worship. Is that possible? I mean, it's going to be a very unreasonable standard to say it's not possible. After all, as Catholics, yeah, we can get into the nitty gritty of Christ promising the gift of protection from error when the church teaches formally at ecumenical councils or the Pope and an ex-cathedra statement. And we could talk about all that nitty gritty, but I think you just got to plant the seed that Christ gave us a church. He's going to protect us. He's going to protect her in the general run. He's going to make sure she doesn't formally teach error, but that doesn't mean that people in the church aren't going to make mistakes in history along the way. So I would just ask you to reconsider that, hey, maybe the church did make some prudential mistakes in how they handled that case, but that wouldn't show that Catholicism isn't true, right? What do you think about that? And just get them thinking in that kind of a big picture way. And if they really want to dive into the details, okay, we got some books to deal with that. We could pick up and study it. But anyway, that's just a quick response. I've definitely heard that question as well. I've gotten it a bunch of times, so I'm glad you responded to that. But I wanted to point out, so earlier in our What's Concerning Us segment, we were talking about the sort of shift that's happening between um, the people thinking in the objective in the subjective now like people think about not them experiencing the same reality as everyone else but as a sort of like endless amount of of subjective realities that exist in the world so how do you combat that how do you get people to um, when they say things like this is my truth that's your truth you believe in god that's your truth how, how do you kind of get them out of this subjective view yeah that's a really good question and I would say the young people in middle school and so on don't really take that yet, but that comes into play more on college campuses. And I think you're going to hear that in a lot of different places as they get older. One tip I got from a guy named Michael Gormley, who was on my show, he hosts Catching Foxes, really great Catholic evangelist, is he says with those kinds of questions, when people kind of espouse that relativism and subjectivism, kind of use ethics as the road in and pick something that you know that they're going to have a pretty strong view about. And I think pretty quickly, they're going to have to say, well, okay, at least in that case, I do think, you know, there's an objective truth to reality. So I'll say, well, hey, you know, if that's your truth, that's your truth. I'm just, you know, obviously I don't agree with this, but let's just say, um, you know, someone really wanted to be a racist and that was their truth and that's how they wanted to live their life what would you think about that? Should we try to correct them? Or, you know, maybe they're right. That's right for them to espouse racism or hatred of the Jews or something of that. Would that be right for them? And I think pretty quickly, the person's going to back away from it. So I would say start with a question that gets to ethics. And at least you'll show in some areas, no, there really is an objective truth of the matter. And then we could say, hey, well, if there's a truth about that, then maybe these religious issues deserve consideration. Have you ever thought that God might exist, and there might be good evidence for that. So that's probably where I would start. 
John DeRosa is our guest. We're talking about his book, uh, which is called One Less God Than You, published by Catholic Answers, answering these atheistic slogans. And uh, and, uh, John, it's more than just giving an answer. I mean, there's always the need to give an answer, but our goal isn't to stop there. Our mission isn't just just to have, you know, nice uh, Twitter-like responses to people's uh, attacks to us. We have a greater mission, right? So there's a there's a purpose and a design in your book and helping us to evangelize. Correct? Absolutely. No, and that's what I focus on in the introduction and at the end when I give like principles and tips. And so, like the first tip is just you got to pray every day set a timer, set a rule, you figure it out. Hey, what's going to be right for you? And I stick it this way. So I have to say this myself because I got to preach to myself, but Hey, whether it's 15, 20 minutes in the morning, some people do in the evening, some people incorporate the rosary, but set what your personal prayer schedule looks like. Because if you're going to go out there and evangelize and deal with slogans and talk with people who can sometimes get hostile and combative, it's going to be difficult and you're going to get dissuaded and and discouraged early if you're not staying close to the Lord. So you got to pray every day. And then I say at the, the last principle I give in the introduction is don't neglect the soft skills of evangelism, meaning nobody really is going to listen to a jerk. So if you come across, even if you've prayed and like you have like the best answers to these details, if you pitch them in a way that's like, oh, you know, you're Mr. Smart Guy who has all these answers and you're just trying to belittle me, no one's going to listen to you. So don't neglect those soft skills of offering a smile, using the person's name, taking an interest in their life. A lot of times people are not going to be convinced in one conversation. It might be a follow-up that you have with someone, you know, at the next family holiday or the next time you see this group of friends. And I really think Pope Francis has it right with his phrase. It could be taken out of context and used inappropriately. But I think the idea of accompaniment when used correctly is 100% right. And I, I actually reference this in the book. What it involves is a gradual process of leading someone closer and closer to the truth. People hear a company that they're like, oh, you're just saying everybody's okay. You're just going to be wishy-washy about it. That's not what the Pope is saying. In Specifically, when he talks about accompaniment, you're supposed to accompany them. It's not just one conversation, but it's moving them towards that relationship with Christ. And sometimes that's going to be removing obstacles and answering their objections that they have to atheism or other religions. Other times, it's going to be having a good conversation as a friend. But ultimately, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You're there to plant that seed, Joe, as you said in the beginning, and offer them something more for their consideration so that later on, you know, the Holy Spirit can do that work. That's what we're praying for in evangelism of converting the heart. So that's what I would uh, recommend to people. Don't put too much on you. You got to pray every day. Don't neglect those soft skills. And, you know, just accompany someone when you see that they're open. If someone's just openly hostile, they're not interested with you. You're not forced to have that conversation. But if they're like showing some interest after you give some of these answers, some of these questions, and they're open to pursuing the faith further, you know, reach out to them again, follow up with them. Hey, you know, do you want to talk about that issue sometime? Um, you know, you, you had a question about Galileo. I thought you were asking some good questions. I'd love to clear that up for you. Or you had a question about evil and so on. And then, you know, you make an appointment, you pray for a holy appointment, pray for the Holy Spirit. But those are some general tips. I would say our apologetics is going to be useless unless it's in service of the evangelism and the evangelistic process. So that's what I would encourage people with. It sounds like when it comes to teenagers, it's kind of a house of cards. They have these like punchlines, but there's no underlying philosophy to back it up. And so could you talk a little bit about like why it's important to teach our Catholic young people philosophy? Oh, it's so true. It's such a great point. And it's so sad when you see um, 
the surveys and what, what people don't know uh, as far as like, they don't even know who's in the Trinity, what the incarnation means, the mysteries of faith and so on. So I would say it's very important to teach people philosophy because, and Bishop Barron says it the best. Listen, they're learning physics. They're learning chemistry. They're analyzing Shakespearean plays, short stories with syntax and diction and style. And then they get to CCD and sometimes they're just like doing a coloring book and something silly. Like they're getting all the hard stuff in regular school with regular topics. We can give them that level of rigor when it comes to philosophy and our faith. And they need to see that because if they see, oh, well, these other disciplines are really strong and academic and short up, but oh, our faith is just kind of this wishy-washy coloring book type thing. Well, then they're going to be prone to walk away when they get questioned. So if we do deliver them that philosophy, that critical thinking, the reasons for our faith, and actually some Catholic philosophers don't like that word critical thinking. They say intellectual virtue. Let's teach them how faith and reason can coincide, how to reason well, what are the motives of credibility that the church has posed for why she is the one true church as far as uh, miracles, prophecies, the holiness and endurance of her saints. There's just a richness that we can draw on. And it's been a temptation, I think, in the past few decades to dumb down the faith for young people, but young people don't want it dumbed down and they can sense that. They want they want something firm, strong, and rigorous. So I would encourage all the teachers out there to incorporate some of the great resources that you folks offer, Ascension Press, Catholic Answers. People are doing great work out there. Take that, bring it into the classroom, and show young people that our faith can be just as strong and rich as anything they're learning in their math, science, and history classes. So that's where I'd end. All right. John DeRose has been our guest today. He is with Classical Theism. ClassicalTheism.com is his website. Again, we'll post links to everything we're talking about today eventually, probably in the next hour or so at some point. But, uh, John, it's been good having you on. Your book, One Less God Than You, published by Catholic Answers. Great resource. We're very grateful for your time this morning. Joe and Emily, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on. All right. Praise be to God. We got through it, Emily. The first hour is in the bag, and uh, I don't know if everybody's still listening at this point, but, but God is so very good. That was a great conversation. Now, we will make Adrian. He's on vacation, obviously, today from his power uh, at his house. But when he gets his power back, we'll make him download the show and try to clean it up and then repost the conversation with John on our Facebook, uh, our YouTube, and even on our Rumble accounts. So hopefully that'll be a great resource that'll be available at some point later today. So be on the lookout for that. If you're looking for the links to everything, you can do that at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Don't go anywhere. We have another hour of Catholic Drive Time coming up next, plus the Holy Mass and the After Show, Game Show. All of it is coming up the next hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. My Protestant friends say the Catholic Church has added a lot of man-made traditions to the Word of God. Is that true? No, it's not true. Protestants go by the written Word of God alone or sacred scripture alone. Catholics go by the entire Word of God as it is found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. 
All of the Word of God was originally passed down as oral tradition. Eventually, some of it was written down. This became sacred scripture, or written tradition. However, scripture itself tells us that not all the things that Jesus said and did were written down. That's where sacred tradition comes in. Paul says this about tradition. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Traditions taught by word of mouth and traditions taught by letter. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. In 1 Corinthians 11.2, Paul commends them for maintaining the traditions as he has delivered them. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is an instance in scripture of Paul commanding the passing on of oral tradition. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. They received as the word of God that which they heard, not simply that which they read in Scripture. In other words, the Bible clearly supports the Catholic Church's teaching that the word of God is contained in both sacred Scripture and sacred tradition. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I heard that the GRN is raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. Miyagi loves support Catholic Radio on GRN. Where can you get tickets? Thing called Internet. <laughs> Go to grnonline.com. One ticket, $25. Five ticket, $100. Drawing in March 1st. Name drawn March 4th. What are you going to do if you win? Give to you. Practice. Wax on, wax off. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you. We are not at the studio today. If you're just joining us, we are actually all at home because of the giant winter storm that's uh, ravaging Texas uh, from last night till today and maybe even go until tomorrow. In fact, our producer, Adrian Fonseca, is actually at home, but he has no power at his place because of the ice down there. So he is uh, not really able to help much today other than uh, with prayers and fasting during our show today. And w- and his anxiety levels, I'm sure, are really high. But uh, he's still on the phone with us, hanging out with I us. Good morning seven. to you, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning. Hope you all can hear me. But, uh, yeah, everything is great. I have a candle lit right beside me. And uh, this is what's keeping me warm. Emily Alcarez is joining us via Zoom chat from her secret winter bunker in the middle of, uh, or very close to downtown Houston. Good morning, Jamily. Good morning. I actually just looked outside before the show, and it's not even snowing here yet. So that tells oh, you how well. far I live away from Adrian. <laughs> 
Well, we may have to do this aye, aye. Up, even tomorrow too. So we'll have to come up with a better game plan because the technical problems today have been been uh, challenging at best, especially on the live stream side of things. So, and I do apologize. There's lots of reverb and such. We do uh, we do wish it wasn't the case, but we are we're going to move on anyway. We had a great conversation with John DeRosa from Classical Theism last hour. We're going to get that uh, downloaded and cleaned up and reposted on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and and whatnot. And and it's uh, going to be a great conversation. I highly encourage you to check out his book, uh, which is One Less God Than You, published by Catholic Answers. But we're going to have the breaking news of the stories. We're going to have Sand the Day, Gospel Day. We'll do the game show, but no caller today. There's just too many technical problems to manage the process. So no call today. We will just simply go through the questions and uh, and we'll go from there. Sound like a fair plan? Uh, so let's begin with prayer. We're asking for your intentions. We're going to include your intentions today. We'll take our intentions and, and join yours and ask Our Lady to intercede for us with her son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praying over the technical issues, pull the show off remotely, praying for God's grace and protection to make everything run smooth as possible anyway. Pray for peace in our country and for safety for all those who are dealing with the weather today, of course, sickness and, and whatnot. But uh, let's ask Our Lady to intercede for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. These are your headlines for Monday, February 15th. The former president, Donald Trump, has been acquitted in his second impeachment trial. Trump's attorneys claimed that Trump's language is nearly indistinguishable from similar rhetoric used by Democrats, and they proceeded to show various edited video montages of Democrats using similar rhetoric, where they also called on their supporters to quote-unquote fight. With two-thirds of the Senate necessary to convict, the vote to impeach fell 10 votes short. In a statement after the trial, Trump said, quote, No president has ever gone through anything like this. And it continues because our opponents cannot forget that almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president, who voted for us just a few short months ago, end quote. California's Santa Clara County has once again banned indoor worship, saying its rules to mitigate coronavirus spread are fundamentally different from Governor Gavin Newsom's order recently blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court because it treats all indoor gatherings similarly. California's strict coronavirus rules banning indoor worship statewide were blocked and revised on February 5th when the Supreme Court justices said that religious services appeared to be wrongly singled out when similar indoor gatherings were allowed under the state order. Restrictions on worship in California have been so extreme that Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione of San Francisco had instructed his priests to offer Mass indoors if needed in violation of state orders. The Supreme Court on Thursday refused an appeal by the state of Alabama to execute a man without a chaplain present. The 51-year-old Willie Smith was scheduled to be executed by Alabama on Thursday night. Smith had asked for a chaplain to be present with him in the execution room but the state denied his request due to its policy. 
A federal appeals court ruled in Smith's favor, and the Supreme Court on Thursday declined Alabama's appeal to overturn that decision. Smith's execution could still proceed, provided that the state provides him with a chaplain as he requested. Justice Elena Kagan wrote that Alabama failed to prove that its exclusion of chaplains from the execution chamber was necessary for the compelling state interest of security. And among the 12 men ordained priests of the Diocese of Kasese in Uganda earlier this month was a pair of twins named Peter and Andrew. In an interview, Father Andrew shared their vocation story saying, growing up, my brother and I often talked about our dream to become Catholic priests. We admired the lives of priests who came to our homes, ate with us in humility and prayed for us. The twins are identical, only distinguishable by the scar on Father Andrew's nose, which was left after he was injured during their pastoral work. Due to financial difficulties, the brothers were sent to separate seminaries, although in the end, they were still able to be ordained together this month in Uganda. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Saint Claude de la Colombère, pray for us. He was born on the 2nd of February, 1641 in Rhone, France. Born to French nobility, Claude very early felt a call to religious life. He was educated at the uh, Jesuit College in Lyon. He was ordained to the priesthood. He taught humanities at Avignon. He continued his studies in Paris and even preached against Jansenism, advocating for the dedication to the sacred heart of Jesus. He joined the Jesuits in 1659 and became the spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque. And he was also assigned by King Louis XIV as the chaplain to the Duchess of York in England, where he converted many Protestants to the example of his holy life. And due to the rumors of popish plots against the king and the reestablishment of Catholicism, Claude was arrested and imprisoned, accused of being a part of the Titus Oates plot. It was only by the efforts of King Louis XIV that he was uh, released from prison and not martyred for the faith. He was banished from England, but his, uh, his life in prison didn't do him any favors. In fact, it ruined his health, and by the time he made it back to France, he was to die. Uh, St. Margaret Mary uh, received supernatural assurances that Claude needed no prayers, though, as he was already in heaven. He is considered a dry martyr for, ha- for the faith for having suffered every abuse with the exception of death. He did die on the 15th of February, 1682, uh, while coughing up blood. He would be canonized by Pope St. John Paul II on May 31st, 